Holy Father in heaven, your children are gathered here once again to fellowship with you and we are on our journey. We want to be in your kingdom at last and be partakers of eternal life. Lord, feed us with your word as it were manna from above. We pray, Lord, as we hunger and test for righteousness, please fill us. Grant us of your spirit. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth and impress on our hearts the truths that are most important for us individually to the end that we may be built up into the most holy faith and reflect the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I bring myself to you, Lord. Please consecrate me to your service and grant me of your spirit that the words that will come out will bless your children. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, October 29 Simon's Change of Heart Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 Simon, the host, had been influenced by the criticism of Judas upon Mary's gift, and he was surprised at the conduct of Jesus. His pharisaic pride was offended. He knew that many of his guests were looking upon Christ with distrust and displeasure. Simon said in his heart, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that tortured him, for she is a sinner. By curing Simon of leprosy, Christ had saved him from a living death. But now, Simon questioned whether the Savior were a prophet. Jesus knows nothing of this woman who is so free in her demonstrations, he thought, or he would not allow her to touch him. As did Nathan with David, Christ concealed his home trust under the veil of a parable. He threw upon his host the burden of pronouncing sentence upon himself. Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. She had been deeply wronged by him. But Simon felt himself more righteous than Mary, and Jesus desired him to see how great his guilt really was. He would show him that his sin was greater than hers, as much greater as a debt of 500 pence exceeds a debt of 50 pence. Simon's coldness and neglect toward the Savior showed how little he appreciated the mercy he had received. He had thought he honored Jesus by inviting him to his house, but he now saw himself as he really was. His religion had been a rope of pharisaism. While Mary was a sinner pardoned, he was a sinner unpardoned. The rigid rule of justice he had desired to enforce against her condemned him. Simon was touched by the kindness of Jesus in not openly rebuking him before the guests. He had not been treated as he desired Mary to be treated. Stern denunciation would have hardened Simon against repentance, but patient admonition convinced him of his error. He saw the magnitude of the debt which he owed his Lord. His pride was humbled, he repented and the proud Pharisee became a lowly, self-sacrificing 
disciple. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Simon's Change of Heart. Like we have already seen, Simon was the man who invited Jesus for a feast. He was healed of leprosy by Jesus, and he is a Pharisee. In that feast in Bethany, Lazarus was there, Martha was there, and Mary was also there. In the accounts written by Luke, he tells us of something that happened to Simon while Mary was anointing the body of Jesus. It says in Luke 7 from verse 36, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. In this account of Luke, two times we have seen Mary being described as a sinner. And because Simon had the details of her life, he was influenced by Judas' statement when he said that this ointment should have been sold and given to the poor, and he also started to criticize Mary. This is that which we referred to in yesterday's devotion. Simon felt he was paying Jesus back for the good gifts that Jesus had given to him when he was healed of his leprosy, but Simon had not given Jesus his heart. And even though this was happening, Jesus, ac Jesus accepted it nonetheless. But what is it that Jesus wanted from Simon? A repentant heart. But Simon had not given his heart to Jesus. In our devotion, I think four days ago, in Conflict and Courage, page 305, paragraph 2, we are told, Simon of Bethany was accounted a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the few Pharisees who had openly joined Christ's followers. He acknowledged Jesus as a teacher and hoped that he might be the Messiah. But he had not accepted him as a savior. His character was not transformed and his principles were unchanged." End of quote. So Simon had given his gifts to Jesus but had not given his heart. He was not transformed in character. He was still unchanged in his principles of living. He was still a sinner. So Jesus was to him a teacher but not a savior because the only way Simon could change the principles of his life and be transformed was by accepting Jesus as the Savior from his sins, but he had not done that. Why is it that Simon was so critical of Mary? Reading from Desire of Ages, page 566, paragraph 3, we are told, But it was Simon's ignorance of God and of Christ that led him to think as he did. He did not realize that God's Son must act in God's way with compassion, tenderness, and mercy. Simon's way was to take no notice of Mary's penitent sacrifice service. 
Her act of kissing Christ's feet and anointing them with ointment was exasperating to his hard-heartedness. He thought that if Christ were a prophet, he would recognize sinners and rebuke them. End of quote. So what's the first lesson we learn? We're not to have the same mindset that Simon had. Now, what was this mindset that Simon had? He first of all thought that Jesus was not to show compassion and tenderness and mercy to someone who was a sinner. We are not to have this mindset, expecting that if someone is a man of God, the evidence of this is shown in their great denunciation of those who are sinners and making a public show of them to show how much we abhor sin. Simon felt that if Jesus were a prophet, he would know and also reject such an act from one whom he considered to be a sinner like Mary. But Jesus knew Mary was a sinner, which even makes it more perplexing for Simon's mind. If he knows that she's a sinner, why is he accepting such a gesture from one who is a sinner? Jesus accepted it because Jesus was tender and compassionate. One thing we read in our devotion yesterday, Desire of Ages, page 564, paragraph 2. Christ values acts of heartfelt courtesy. When anyone did him a favor with heavenly politeness, he blessed the actor. He did not refuse the simplest flower plucked by the hand of a child and offered to him in love. He accepted the offerings of children and blessed the givers, inscribing their names in the book of life. In the scriptures, Mary's anointing of Jesus is mentioned as distinguishing her from other Marys. Acts of love and reverence for Jesus are an evidence of faith in him as the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit mentions as evidences of women's loyalty to Christ, if she had washed the saints' feet, if she had relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. First Timothy chapter five, verse ten. End of quote. Jesus accepted gifts from one who was a sinner. Don't even mistake it here, thinking that oh Mary, maybe she had repented and all of that. The Bible describes that Mary was a sinner. Simon knew about it and said, this woman is a sinner. Why is Jesus accepting such kind, loving, tender gesture from her? He ought to shake his feet off and say, don't touch me. Let not the people have a wrong notion of our relationship. Let it not look like I am accepting something from one like you who is into sin and let them start to have a wrong notion about two of us. Are people not saying that about Jesus today? Did Jesus know that will come to a time when people will accuse him of having an affair with Mary? Of course he knew. But what was more important to him was his character. To show us that there is nothing wrong in receiving kind gestures from people. Coming from a desi- people who have a desire to do the will of the Lord. That was what was in Mary's heart. Not that she was trying to entice Jesus or woo him. It was a public place. Yes and Jesus accepted it. We are not to think that because we know the details of the sin in a person's life, such people's gifts are not accepted by God. This is Pharisaism. Jesus detests it. It is true that Mary was a struggling sinner and her life was not pure, but she appreciated Jesus and loved him and desired to express this love by doing what she did. Jesus accepted the love shown and it was no blot to his ministry. The Bible says that people murmured at the act of Mary and Jesus not rebuking her too. Jesus didn't cave in to the misunderstanding of the people, but he told them to leave her alone. 
Mark 14 verse 5 and 6 says, And they criticized her harshly. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a fine and beautiful thing for me. But Simon spoke in his heart against Jesus himself, which leads us to another lesson. This lesson is a lesson of how to deal with people that err. Simon was making a huge mistake here. How did Jesus deal with him? Reading from Luke 7 verse 40 to 43, it says, And Jesus answering said unto Simon, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Amen. Did you see how Jesus treated Simon's case? Now, remember that Jesus knew that Simon himself was a sinner. And not only that, but that he was responsible for even Mary's sin. He had a hand in it. Therefore, he was even more guilty than Mary. But we don't see Jesus getting offended and riled up and angry with Simon. He loved Simon too and he tactfully gave him a parable so that he can pronounce judgment on himself. That was how Nathan did with David to allow David pronounce judgment on himself. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 566, paragraph 5, it says, Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. She had been deeply wronged by him. By the two debtors of the parable, Simon and the woman were represented. Jesus did not design to teach that different degrees of obligation should be felt by the two persons, for each owed a debt of gratitude that never could be repaid. But Simon felt himself more righteous than Mary, and Jesus desired him to see how great his guilt really was. He would show him that his sin was greater than hers, as much greater as a debt of 500 pence exceeds a debt of 50 pence." End of quote. The going on says, Simon now began to see himself in a new light. He saw how Mary was regarded by one who was more than a prophet. He saw that with keen prophetic eye, Christ read her heart of love and devotion. Shame seized upon him, and he realized that he was in the presence of one superior to himself." End of quote. Now, after Jesus described this to Simon, and Simon answered, Jesus then told him further, Luke 7 verse 44 to 48, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou givest me no water for my feet. But she had washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou givest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in had not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Amen. She was a sinner when she came. If she was not a sinner, Jesus would not say to her, Thy sins are forgiven. People knew that she was a sinner. Simon was the one that led her into sin. 
it doesn't say that Mary had repented before she did this. If not, Jesus wouldn't say to her, thy sins are forgiven. He said to her, thy sins are forgiven because even while she was doing that, it was a known fact that Mary was a sinner. The Bible even records it as we read in the book of Luke 7, said the woman was a sinner. Simon in his heart said it, this woman is a sinner. What lesson do we learn from here? Reading Desire of Ages, page 567, paragraph 2, and down to paragraph 4, we are told, Christ recounted the opportunities Simon had had to show his love for his Lord and his appreciation of what had been done for him. Plainly, yet with delicate politeness, the Savior assured his disciples that his heart is grieved when his children neglect to show their gratitude to him by words and deeds of love. The heart searcher read the motive that led to Mary's action and he saw also the spirit that prompted Simon's words. Seest thou this woman, he said, she is a sinner. I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Simon's coldness and neglect towards the Savior showed how little he appreciated the mercy he had received. He had thought he honored Jesus by inviting him to his house, but he now saw himself as he really was. He had despised the compassion of Jesus. He had recognized him as the representative of God. While Mary was a sinner pardoned, he was a sinner unpardoned. The rigid rule of justice he, now, he had desired to enforce against her condemned him. End of quote. This is what shows us love. If we love someone, we will not go around exposing their guilt to others. This is what Jesus did for Simon and Simon appreciated it. This is what led to his conversion. Simon wondered if Jesus was a prophet because he thought Jesus did not know of Mary's sinful life. But Jesus showed him that he knew more than Mary's sinful life, but that he also knew of Simon's sinful life and the role that Simon played in it. Because the reason Simon knew so much of Mary's sin is that he himself was party to her crime. Simon's sin was grievous, but even at that, Jesus treated him with the same tenderness and politeness that he did to Mary. He, was, he won Simon with such tenderness. He did not deserve to be treated with respect. That Simon did not deserve to be treated with respect. But Jesus gave him respect nevertheless. The life of Jesus is a wonder to behold. He knew the secret of men's lives. Yet, he conversed with them as though he knew nothing about the details of the heinous crimes they committed. For years, Judas had been stealing from the purse, yet not a word of gossip from Jesus to any man, not even John the Beloved or Lazarus his friend. He would not malign the image or character of one whom he was working to save. He knew that he could gain nothing by relating to others the secrets of people's lives. He knew that he would gain nothing by letting the guilty know that he knew of their sins and listing them by name. If Jesus knew the truth of the sins in the lives of others and did not utter a word of it to any other person, how much more terrible it would have been for him to speak of the rumors, not the real sins now, but rumors and unconfirmed things that he heard of people and how bad it is for us to speak of the rumors we have heard of other men's lives. Many years later, Jesus would appear to John the Beloved to give a message to the church as written in Revelation 2 and 3. And the constant message from him is this, I know thy works. Do you know that Jesus knows your works? Those secret sins you commit, he knows them just as he knew about Simon and he knew about Mary. He knew 
the thoughts of your heart. He knows them. But does he expose you? No. He neither exposed Mary, nor Judas, nor Simon. Can you imagine that? How many of us can do that? Jesus knew the works of Simon and his great sin. Yet this did not make him bitter against Simon. When Simon had leprosy, he never said to him, That serves you right. Or used the opportunity of his leprosy to remind Simon of how sinful he was. And now here was Simon displaying an inhumanity to Mary, who was even better than him. Yet Jesus keeps his cool and possesses himself. He does not lose his respect for Simon or get angry with him, but politely explains to Simon why he accepted Mary's gesture and how he expected much from Simon. This is a lesson for us. Our character will be beautifully adorned if we would wear the grace of meekness, love and kindness of Jesus as seen in the way he treats sinners of all classes. If you knew what Christ knew of the secrets of other people's lives, can you handle it? Will the knowledge lead you to be a better helper to them? Or will it make you a curse to them? Reading Desire of Ages, page 567, paragraph 5, we are told, Simon was touched by the kindness of Jesus in not openly rebuking him before the guests. He had not been treated as he desired Mary to be treated. He saw that Jesus did not wish to expose his guilt to others, but sought by a true statement of the case to convince his mind and by pitying kindness to subdue his heart. Stern denunciation would have hardened Simon against repentance, but patient admonition convinced him of his error. He saw the magnitude of the debt which he owed his Lord. His pride was humbled. He repented, and the proud Pharisee became a lowly, self-sacrificing disciple. Amen. End of quote. Remember the title of our devotion is concerning Simon's change of heart. Do you have someone like a Pharisee around you who loves to criticize and condemn others? We can treat them in love the way Jesus treated Simon. Jesus was already, he already knew secrets of Simon's lives. How many are there today who love to expose other people's sins to the public, to put them to shame? Imagine Jesus doing that. How unbecoming it would have been for Jesus to speak of Simon's sins to his disciples. But never do we hear of him doing this. Both Simon and Mary were sinners and Jesus was aware of each person's sin. This unregenerated sinner, Simon, made a feast for Jesus. But Jesus did not, on account of his knowledge of Simon's guilt, refuse the gesture. Also, there was an open sinner, Mary, whom people knew was a sinner. At least Simon knew. But what did Jesus do? He accepted her kind gesture. This is a lesson for us today. How many of us can handle the information of the secret of other men's lives? Jesus knew all these secrets, but did not on account of this become bitter and disgusted or irritated at Simon. We cannot even handle a rumor, not to talk of the actual truth of the defects of other men's lives. And for this reason, it is not God who is in the business of spreading rumors and knowledge of the defects and secrets of other men's lives. It's not God who is in that business. It is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the one that does this. And if you find yourself exposing people's sins to the public, you are not doing Christ's work. Check Jesus' life. Do you hear any time he mentioned even Judah stealing to any of his disciples? Never. 
What about Mary's sin or of Simon? Never. He keeps it to himself. He doesn't even mention it to Simon himself. So discreet and sensitive was he to, to, to the feelings of Simon that he did not even come to say to Simon, Simon, I'm aware of what you did to Mary and you need to change. He didn't do that. He kept it quiet. Even attended a feast that this sinner, Simon, organized for him. With the knowledge of Simon's sin, he wasn't carrying a burden in his heart and feeling overburdened. And then you see a change of countenance in Jesus and everybody will be wondering, why is he so sad? He's sitting down in Simon's feast and he's just frowning because he knows something that Simon did to Mary and he knows the secret of how this one is doing this with that person and he's looking at everybody's lives. He knows Judas is a thief. He knows this one is an adulterer. He knows that that one is even committing incest. He knows that oh, this one is in the LGBT lifestyle. Uh, if you were like Jesus with all this knowledge, would you come to that feast with your face looking down and frowning and troubled, showing the burden in your heart? Jesus didn't do that. Why? He prays for them. There was no need for him to do that. He just prays for them knowing that man is struggling. He knows that they know and he knows that mentioning it to them may not be the best. It will only put them to shame and they will run away from him. So there was no point saying it. No point confronting them openly. Not to talk of talking about their sin to another person. Do you enjoy it when people talk about your own secrets or your sins? or mistakes you made and they comment on it and spread it here and there. Do you enjoy it? I know you won't. Then, you should be like Jesus. Don't do the same to other people. Jesus did not as much as even confront the people. And then, talking to another person about it would have even been worse. Like I said, this is the work that Satan does. Jesus did not denounce Simon, but he spoke kindly to him. These are some of the things we see about Jesus that makes us realize that the nearer we come to him, the more clearly do we see of our own sinfulness and we cry, woe is me. Do we see how disgusting it is to look down on people or treat them dis disrespectfully on account of the sins which we know they have committed? I think we should see it. So what are we to do then? Reading from Ministry of Healing, page 167, paragraph 3 and down to 168, we are told, when one at fault becomes conscious of his error, be careful not to destroy his self-respect. This is what Jesus was careful about. Do not discourage him by indifference or distrust. Jesus was not indifferent towards Simon. Do not say before giving him my confidence, I will wait to see whether he will hold out. Often, this very distrust causes the tempted one to stumble. We should strive to understand the weakness of others. We know little of the heart trials of those who have been bound in chains of darkness and who lack resolution and moral power. Most pitiable is the condition of him who is suffering under remorse. He is as one stunned, staggering, sinking into the dust. He can see nothing clearly. The mind is beclouded. He knows not what steps to take. Many a poor soul is misunderstood, unappreciated, full of distress and agony, a lost strange ship. He cannot find God, yet he has an intense longing for pardon and peace. Oh, let no word be spoken to cause deeper pain to the soul weary of a life of sin, but knowing not where to find relief. Present the compassionate Savior, take him by the hand, lift him up. Speak to him words of courage and hope. Help him to grasp the hand of the Savior. 
End of quote. As opposed to this, instead of doing this, this is what we are supposed to do actually, but we should not go into backbiting like we read now in Councils for the Church, page 176, paragraph 5, and down to 177, paragraph 2, we are told, Is it Christian charity to gather up every floating report to unearth everything that will cast suspicion on the character of another and then take delight in using it to injure him? Satan exalts when he can defame or wound a follower of Christ. He is the accuser of our brethren. Shall Christians aid him in his work? God's all-seeing eye notes the defects of all and the ruling passion of each, yet he bears with our mistakes and pities our weakness. He bids his people cherish the same spirit. Are you getting it? I take that again. This is what I've been saying since God's all-seeing eye notes your defects and my own and the ruling passion that I have and that you have. Yet, do you see him exposing it to people? Will he win us over if he does that to us? No. He bears with our mistakes and pities our weakness. He bids you and me cherish the same spirit of tenderness and forbearance. True Christians will not exalt in exposing the faults and deficiencies of others. They will turn away from vileness and deformity to fix the mind upon that which is attractive and lovely. To the Christian, every act of fault-finding, every word of censure or condemnation is painful." End of quote. I've read two things now. One telling us what we should not do, gathering every floating report of people's lives and exposing it. We are to learn from God. He notes everybody's defects in character, but you will never hear him come to talk to this brother about that brother and expose one to the other. Both when he was here on earth and even now in heaven. And we should have the same spirit. And we have read also what we should do. Do not speak a word to cause deeper pain. You know that people are in a position where they are losing the confidence. They want to come to God. They don't know what to do. Exposing their sins. Like if Jesus had exposed either Mary or Simon would have killed their hope. Let us raise people's hope and not kill it. We are to speak hope and not condemnation to people. We are to encourage, help and bless. Many, many times it will be necessary to turn a blind eye on the sins of those whom we are aware of their faults and defects so we can win their confidence and save their souls. May God give us grace to understand everything that has to do with this topic. There are places, of course, where there's a place where it is necessary to confront people and tell them things, but that's not what we should do all the time. Sometimes, and many times actually, you may need to remain silent and pray for people rather than confront them. And worst of all, I don't know if there's any time when that is necessary to talk about others' defects to another person, exposing the secret things in their lives. Is that ever necessary? I strongly doubt. Except in cases where something may need to be done and interference is needed, of course, there are cases when that is necessary. But in general, if there is no harm being done, it's just like in the case of Simon, when you know he's going to harm the person, there's no need to expose people and bring them to shame. It wouldn't have won Simon over, but the tenderness of Jesus that was shown to Simon won him over. May God help us 
to properly understand this lesson, I know that there may be things in it that may not be clear. There are other parts of God's word where we are told, of course, if a brother offends another, go and speak with him. Not with any other person. Speak with him. But the basic lesson here is how Jesus won Simon over. It was not by exposing him. But in the knowledge of Simon's sin, Jesus showed him respect and was tender and loving towards him. That was what made Simon's heart to change. And that is what will help many other people today. Love, compassion, courtesy, respect towards them, even though you know they are sinners. That is what will change many people's hearts, not the reiteration of precepts. May God give us grace to put these things in practice. This is my prayer. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for this lesson. This is an added part of the life of Christ that we need to bring into our souls. Many are perishing today because of this matter of exposing people's sins and not knowing how to deal with information. Lord, please teach us to deal with the information of the defects of other people's lives the way you did it. Help us, Lord, to have the same spirit that even though we take note of the defects in other people's lives and their ruling passions, that we will bear with it and pity the weaknesses of others rather than harmfully exposing them and doing wickedness to them in vengeance or for whatever motive just to speak about it in a way that will harm them. Forgive us for all the times we have done this for we know that there are many times we would have done it. Please have mercy on us and forgive us and help us from henceforth to clothe ourselves with this meek, loving, tender and kind character of our Lord to the point that we will be transformed into his image. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Today you hear people talk about doing their thing. Some take drugs or anything for a fling. To a lot of folks it is gluttony or maybe even their pride. Some run down a friend until his influence has died. To others, it's their position, or what their daddy has been. And some, it's their money, to spend with no end. To some, it's a car, or a home that they possess. To others, it's a diamond, or how well they can dress. All these things in the Bible, we are told, will only bring vanity and cost us our soul. None of these things represent God's love. None will enhance the things of above. Do unto others as you would have them do. These kind of folks today are very few. Why, if you see your brother failing, don't look at him and doubt. Tell it to the Lord. Let him work it out. If you see a friend or a neighbor in need,
go to his rescue. This is called a good deed. If you see a man who's drunk with wine, it's so easy to say, why, he's lower than a swine. Don't run down a man until you've stood in his shoes. Think about his soul. That's what he can lose. Why not stop and give him a hand? Take just a moment and tell him God's plan. The love of God is shown only one way. That's by you, my friend. What have you done today? Do you know a widow who's got children to feed? Did you call today to see what they need? Or were you afraid that it might cost you a dime? Or maybe keep you from being on time. Do you know a neighbor that's sick and in bed? Did you go by and pray? Why, he could even be dead. There's an old proverb that goes, if we ever succeed, it will be by helping our brother or a friend that's in need. Now, I hope that you don't think I'm pointing a finger at you. I'm just merely thinking out loud to see what I can do.